one, I always like to say the first snow of the year. I do think if Jesus lived in Illinois and not Galilee, it's quite possible that one of his sayings would have been, the kingdom of God is like a snowstorm that comes one snowflake at a time very quietly, but changes the whole landscape by morning, right? I just think it's, amen. Um, and a couple of little things just before we dive in. Uh, again, my name's Jeff, if we haven't met. I don't know if I said that or not. Uh, last night was game night, and I guess there were 70 to 80 of you here. So let's clap for game night. I'm like, my, my wife and son made it. I did not make it, but I heard it was awesome. And I heard, actually, I heard one really fun story about uh, Mr. Mike Thornton, too. So that's good. Yeah, just cross-generational gaming going on. I heard it was a lot of fun, so... Uh, and then the last thing I want to do, I did this first service, and I don't one of these, but, but I've learned, we're not really a multi-site church, but I've heard in cold weather like this, there's a group of people at Oakcrest just on the road that are all getting in the same room and joining us for worship on Sunday morning. So I just want to say hi to our Oakcrest folks. So, um, and both services clapped unprompted, so we love our Oakcrest folk. That's good. All right, well, I'm going to jo- dive in and I never thought I would say this, but I have a growing fan club, actually. Um, it's kind of capped. You're not really invited to join. Jay said he wanted to join after this. I was like, you're not in, man. It's just, there's two people in it. Uh, I think I'm capping it there. I might make a few exceptions here and there, but uh, I'll explain as we go throughout the morning. But, but let me tell you about my fan club. Uh, I like this one. Uh, I found out about my first member about a month or two ago. It's Piper Cantrell. She's two years old. Piper. Uh, Sarah and Corey Cantrell. Sarah's our children's director. Piper's their daughter. Um, and apparently she has, you know, toys, dolls, figurines. And one of them's a boy, and she named him Jay. So, or Jeff. Not Jay. Jeff. She named him after me. Um, I'm conf- my mom would be proud that I'm confusing myself with my son because she does that all the time. Anyway, Piper named him Jeff. So she's got a toy named Jeff, and she's in my fan club, and I love Piper. I mean, Piper, sometimes, you might think because of the nature of my role that if you were to come in during the week, I would be the one in charge. I'm just telling you, if Piper's ever here, when you're here, she's in charge. Piper is in charge. She walks around like she owns the place, and I love her. She's the first member of my fan club. So that's Piper. The second one is uh, Henry Koppel. I think I found out about this last week uh, from Grandma, and then I saw Henry's second service. I, I ran out to see Henry in the lobby. He's, he had a new Bible, and he, I mean, nothing fills a pastor's heart more than a three-year-old, look at my Bible! I love Henry. Uh, but apparently Henry's been pretending to be Pepper Jeff, not Pastor Jeff, but Pepper Jeff, um, practicing preaching and stuff. So that's it. That's my fan club. Again, you're not invited, but Henry and Piper make up my fan club, and I'm excited about that. And I I present them, we're going to walk through Deuteronomy chapter 6, the first nine verses, and we're going to end by talking about what are we doing to make sure that the faith that was handed down to us is handed down to Henry and Piper. (laughs) So if you know Henry and Piper, you can think of them, uh, but maybe there's other kids in your life that you can think of. Maybe you have your own kids, maybe you have grandkids. Maybe you have great grandkids. I had somebody first service really responsive. I have great grandkids and I'm feeling called to do more. I don't, but, but be thinking about the next generation this morning. That's 
Well, we're going to look at really two things. It's kind of two main points. We're going to talk about loving God completely and then passing on his love constantly. And if you're new to Crossview, uh, one of your first weeks here, we're going through the book of Deuteronomy, which I, I, I will be honest, like five months ago when I decided I was going to do Deuteronomy, I was really excited about it. And then at the end of December, I was like, well, what am I thinking? <laughs> I don't know how to do this. I've never heard anyone preach a series on Deuteronomy, and I, I told you the first week if you were here. In seminary, I probably had two or three classes where we walked through the Old Testament books, but we always zoom through Deuteronomy. It's like the end of the Pentateuch. You're always running out of time. And so I've, I've spent very little time like, with other people instructing me in this book. And so, um, I, but I think that's part of why I'm enjoying the series so much. There's a lot in this book, and I just I'm, I'm really enjoying learning. So I hope, I, I've talked to a few of you, I think you're enjoying it too, getting to know Deuteronomy in a way you haven't before. Uh, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm going to start with verses 1 to 5. These are the commands, the decrees, and the regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. So if you were with us last week, I, we walked through the Ten Commandments, and I don't usually do this, but... Next week, we're going to jump into these laws and decrees and stipulations. We're going to get into a few very specific laws and look at how they're wisdom for us, how they're good for us, and, and how, we, I mean, how, 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 the, how we can read the law in kind of a discipleship-oriented, praiseworthy way, and then even what Jesus does with it. We'll be talking about that the next few weeks. And I laid down some groundwork last week in the Ten Commandments. So if you really want to, I recommend listening to last week as we journey through the law. Because Deuteronomy is, again, if you're newer, it's a collection of sermons. It's like four hours in the history of Israel. It's just Moses' sermons. Um, And a huge chunk is laws that we'll get into next week. And so that's what he's talking about. Uh, what we'll talk a little bit more about, you'll, you'll hear this theme in the next few verses. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren, again, we'll be talking about the generations, must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. And if you, here it is, obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. And we, we talked about that last week. God is trying to form them into an alternative community a new kind of people. And so if you want to know life, living under the heavy burden of Pharaoh taught them death. Oppression taught them death. Now they want to learn life. If you want to learn life, you'll obey what God is commanding you. He's teaching you how to be a different kind of community that loves their neighbor as themselves. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. And even that listen is is here. In the Hebrew, it really does carry the connotation that you hear the words and you respond. It is why, I mean, th- this kind of understanding is why you'll, you'll hear throughout the Bible someone say, if you have ears to hear, then, then listen and obey. Uh, there, you, you may have ears, but you don't hear what I'm saying because, because biblically, if you hear the words and you respond, you obey. That's just, that's what it means to listen. Listen closely, hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, and then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And again, where are we at in the story of Israel? They have been led out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, and they've been in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they are on the cusp of going from a traveling community to a stationary community where they will move into the land and they will... It's a land of faith. It requires faith. They will be dependent on God for weather because it will be agriculture, and they will live off some of the wild, like milk and honey. 
Yes, that's, that's the land, milk and honey, agriculture and the wildlife. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And then we get into verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 is known as the Shema because the Hebrew word for hear or listen is Shema. Uh, And it's very famous. I'll talk a little bit more about this. But if you were an Orthodox Jew, you would pray the Shema twice a day. It's like a creed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. In fact, in seminary, I think I memorized it in Hebrew, which I'm sad to say I forgot. But I did at one point. Listen, O Israel, this is the New Living Translation. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. All right, first I want to start with this link, because I I think I'm understanding this in a way I never have before, this link between obedience and love. It's not a new idea to me because if you read through 1 John, if you read through the Gospel of John, and Jesus will say things that, again, I think upon first hearing don't always make sense. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And we talked, we talked last week we talked about freedom, and we'll talk more about that in the weeks. How, how, does, how does obedience lead to freedom? It feels like you're impinging upon my freedom by telling me what to do. Well, you have this link of obedience and love because, again, what, what is going on? God has, they've been formed and trained in Egypt, and they know the ways of death. And, they, and they've been led, they've been rescued, they've cried out to this God, and he's heard their cry, and he's rescued them. And so now God is giving them this law to teach them, to form them to be a new kind of community. Not just any kind of community, but the kind of community that is a light to the surrounding nations. In other words, there's nobody like Israel in God's mind. That if they obey the laws, they will, be, they will rearrange themselves in such a unique way that the surrounding nations will go, you don't, you don't have poor among you? You guys just live with such wisdom? You care about each other? You forgive one another? No, teach us this, teach us about this God. Introduce us to this God who's taught you how to live like this. And, and that's why you have this link of obey and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because, because Israel loves this God. And, and, and I think as they're led through the wilderness, they realize, okay, God, you've got a vision for what it means to be human. We don't get it. We, we want that. That's what we want. Is that we want to be that kind of, but we don't know how to be. We obviously don't know how. We're broken and bruised from Pharaoh. We don't know how to be that kind of people. So God, teach us. We love you and we'll obey because you're leading us into life, long life in the land. That's, that's kind of the framework of Deuteronomy. It's, I don't know if that, hopefully as we keep going through that, it'll sit in more and more. That's how love and obedience go together. And I feel pretty good even explaining it that way because when you get to the end of chapter 6, you're going to have this kind of like theoretical situation where, where a child asks a parent, what's the meaning of the law? What's the meaning of the law? And Moses says, well, you respond by telling the story of how God... So it's a question, what's the meaning of the law? Well, God rescued you from, from Egypt and there's no one like this God, right? He's, he's amazing, he's beautiful, he's amazing. There's no... There's this is a story, that's the response. What's the meaning of the story? Because we love this God and so we want to obey him. Now, I will say this because I think it gets, sometimes it can get confusing when we get into the New Testament and the way Paul talks about the law. And we'll do a little bit more about this more specifically in the weeks ahead. Maybe even with Deuteronomy chapter 15. There's a few different laws that I'm looking at doing right now. 
But I did read Deuteronomy 15 this week a little bit, and it is kind of interesting because I mentioned there'll be no poor among you. If you read Deuteronomy 15, God kind of lays out a different kind of way of arranging the economy, if you will, in the way of, of sharing money with one another. And he says, you know, there'll be no poor among you. But Moses knows that Israel's not going to be able to obey all the laws of God. And so by the end of chapter 15, he says, you'll always have the poor among you. <laughs> like here's the ideal of, of what God's inviting you into. But Moses knows our hearts are so sinful and selfish, which is then what Paul, well, you know, we'll talk a, a little bit even about reading the Old Testament as a Christian. What Paul will do as he talks about the law in the New Testament is talk about the changes that have come in Christ Jesus. And that the law was good, but it's weak. And that's why the coming of the Spirit of God is so awesome. (laughs) Because the logic of the New Testament is now you and I are empowered by the personal presence of God to actually live out the law as it's designed to be lived, which is pretty cool. High calling. Will we fall short? Yes. But the Spirit is working to get us to that place where maybe Crossview as a community we could be a light to DeKalb County. Maybe, maybe, if we're obedient. Okay, a little bit about the Shema, verses four. Well, four is really the Shema, and then verse five tied to it. The great, I mean, Jesus even talks about this. We could have looked at that in the Gospels. But the Shema, is, I told you it's like this creed. It's, it's an unreserved and uncompromised love and allegiance for Yahweh alone. Yahweh is the, the way God revealed his name to, to the people of Israel. It's, it's, it's almost like a, a pledge of allegiance, if you will, to, to God and God alone. And he, it's, it's your entire inner being. It's your heart. It's your whole body, all of who you are, your soul. And then it's your, it's your strength. But it's kind of fun because the Hebrew word there for strength is actually just the word very. I mean, literally, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your very. <laughs> what, which is kind of, I mean, it gets translated strength. I think it's getting at all of your, all of your resources. Everything at your disposal is devoted to Yahweh and Yahweh alone so that there's nothing left for other gods. There's no, what we, it's kind of what we talked about last week. There's no room for idolatry because you're solely devoted to God. There are no other paths, no other religions, no other gods. Our God is the complete package. He is the only one. So that's, that's the thrust of the beginning of this and that's why we obey him and we trust him and we love him because he's rescued us. Um, now, I want to, I don't know, I want to nerd out a little bit. This might be more fun for me than for you, but I don't care. You just got to have to enjoy my delight. Um, so one of the things that I, that I, that I want to do in this series is also help us read the Old Testament as Christians. Because we are Christians, because Christ has come, the Word has been made flesh, and He's dwelt among us, and we've beheld His glory, <laughs> And he's been crucified on the cross and he's been resurrected from the dead and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father and so it changes things. And actually we are working, I mean the clearest revelation of who God is is the person of Jesus. So we are working with some revelation that Moses and the other Old Testament people didn't have. And so we actually can't, I mean, you can read the Old Testament and try to get into like what they would, and it's, it's healthy and it's, it's wise to do that. But as Christians, we can read it in light of Christ. And so, um, so as we go through, and, and we'll be doing this in the next few weeks, because we'll have to, right? I mean, we eat seafood now. So we, re- we read the law differently 
than they did. So there's a lot of things. So you, you just got to be able to handle this. Um, so I, I want to help us understand, and this is some of the theological backbone for why I feel so empowered to try to read the Old Testament um, in the light of Jesus. Jesus is shining light on it so we can see things that couldn't be seen before his coming. So you've got the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. I just want to just take just a couple minutes. We're just going to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. There's a whole different argument going on here. Uh, the church in Corinth is total chaos, and Paul is just trying to pastor these people. Um, and I want to get to verse 6, but I'll read the first five, five verses before it to, just to get us there. So you get a sense of the context. And because actually reading through it this week, A, I think, I actually think Deuteronomy is in his mind. Like I hear, now that I'm in Deuteronomy, I totally hear Deuteronomy in the background. It's like he's listening to the soundtrack of Deuteronomy while he's playing, like while he's writing this out. Like it just, I hear it and I, and I love uh, I love what he says in, verse, in verses 1 and 2. <laughs> now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge. He's dealing with a particular issue in Corinth. But listen to this. this I mean, this is, a, this is a sermon on its own. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. I mean, I would say I'm trying to follow Paul as a pastor in that. It's love that strengthens the church. Uh, maybe we all need to hear verse two. I just love this. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. That's from Paul right there. You can, maybe we all need a little humility. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Again, I just, Deuteronomy, it's just this reciprocal, uh, God loves us and we love God. And because we love God, God loves us. And because God loves us, we love God. And we listen to God, but he also listens to us. and, And then we listen to him. It's just, I think it's back there. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? And so again, this is all tied in to the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There are, you will be fully devoted to your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There are no other gods. There is only one God. Well, we all know that an idol is not really a God because there's only one God. We know, in fact, as a Pharisee and a Jew, Paul's like, I pray two times a day. I say the Shema. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords, but for us. And this is what I'm going to read, verse 6. Um, I'm not alone in this. There are people way smarter than me who make very strong arguments that it doesn't necessarily come through as clearly in the English translation, but I'm telling you, I think he's restating the Shema here. But look at what Paul, he's reading the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. In light of Jesus. And so what does he say? (laughs) There is one God. Hear, O Israel, uh, uh, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There's one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And then he has this and. What do you mean and? That's where we stop. Oh, no. And there's one Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Through whom all things were created and through whom we live. I mean, I don't know that there are many places. Maybe Philippians 2. There aren't many places in the New Testament where you get a higher Christology than Paul saying, you know the Shema? Well, guess what? Jesus has always been a part of the divine identity. So now in our creed, we confess Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because God has been revealed to us as one God and three persons. I'm nerding out a little bit. I heard a couple, "Mm," so some of you liked it. Some of you are like, ah, but I'm just telling you. 
This gives you some confidence. If you're praying to Jesus, you're doing fine because you can't say anything higher than Jesus is included in this one God. I mean, it's high Christology. Okay, we'll move on. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to kind of let verses 6 to 9 drive the rest of this. Again, two things. Love God completely and pass on his love constantly. So let's read verses 6 to 9 here. Uh, And you must commit yourselves. I mean, it's just picking up, right? You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you. Be fully devoted. Uh, repeat them, and this will kind of be kind of the framework, so listen clearly because this will kind of guide kind of the application points as we journey. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Notice it doesn't say only talk about them on your way home from church. You see that? I, I just want you to see that. That's important. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them literally on the doorposts of your house and on your... Actually, do you still do this? When we, I went to Israel a few years ago and I got a little box that I could nail on my doorposts. I mean, it, literally, I, mean, I don't know that we have to take it that literally, but you can, as we'll talk about, because I think we need tangible reminders of our invisible God. I think we do. So the first thing I want to say, I think it's kind of cool. Maddie mentioned that it's Sanctity of Life Sunday. And it's kind of cool that we're talking about the future generations on Sanctity of Life Sunday. Crossview is a community that believes that life begins at conception. We are that kind of community. And, and actually, as I've done research, if you, if you if, because, we, because we view the unborn as those humans who actually can't protect themselves, Right? So if that impassions you, I actually think partnering with We Care is one of the most strategic, I'm not just saying this, it's one of the most strategic and effective things you can do to be a part of caring about that next generation. It's really important. I actually had a chance this past week to hang with the board at We Care and the staff at We Care and they're phenomenal people. And they have all kinds of ways. I mean, Maddie's in high school, men and women. There are all kinds of ways that you can be involved if you have a heart for the coming generation, Sanctity of Life Sunday. So you can be thinking of the unborn. You can be thinking of my fan club, Henry and Piper. Or you can be thinking of just any kids, uh, kids that you see here at church, other kids, or your, like I said, your own kids, your, your grandkids. Your great-grandkids, you, as we continue, I want you to be thinking about them. I, I remember one of my good friends saying at one point, everyone follows someone, and someone is following you. Someone is following you. What are you doing for the next generation? And you do realize, because honestly, I think sometimes I forget this. You know, we'll talk, we'll, I'll talk more about being shaped by modern-day Babylon or modern-day Egypt, but I've seen enough commercials to think that as I age out, it's all about me finding ways to keep myself comfortable. Well, those of you who are retired know that's a lie because uh, I talk to you, and I, you tell me what you're doing with retirement, and I'm like, wow, that's retirement. <laughs> like, you're working harder now than you did before, but you, you need to because you have a sense of calling that you are responsible for the people who come after you. And it actually invigorates you 
and gives you life. Why? Because biblical rest is that happy tension of peace and purpose. And you're not at rest if you have peace and no purpose. You're also not at rest if you have purpose but no peace, right? Anyway, so you're responsible for the people that come after you. We all are. We're responsible for one another's faith. I remember hearing this years ago. It was like a statistic from research, but I've heard it so many times from so many different places that I'm pretty convinced it's really accurate. Uh, but I just remember hearing it when Jay was younger, that, that as your child grows up, and again, your child can mean whatever kids you're thinking about, but as kids in our church are growing up, for them to, like for any worldview to take hold in their life, they need three to five adults outside of their parents, maybe even outside of their grandparents, who hold the same worldview as their parents so that it becomes plausible for them. Now, I've thought about this. This is actually pretty accurate. So I've thought about who are J's three to five. And now, like, we live in Illinois. We have no family biologically in Illinois. So guess what? Jay has more than three to five because our church is awesome. But all of my sons three to five are either in this service or we're in first service. Or maybe you're online. I mean, but my point is, like, like I care about my son walking with Jesus for a lifetime. I care a lot. And you guys help me. <laughs> In fact, I would say, I need you. I need you. And that's just my son. There are other kids in here, and they need you. And they need you to be this person. In fact, if you're a parent trying to do this alone, don't. You can't. You actually need other Christians in your kid's life. That's why I'm so excited about Nolan and Haley, because they're awesome, too. Youth pastors are a great one of the three to five, honestly. So how do you do this? How do you become, either, either become the kind of parent or grandparent who is investing in the next generation in the name of Jesus, or become one of the three to, maybe you don't have kids, but you're one of the three to five in, in some of our kids' lives because you're a part of our church family. So again, just using verses six to nine to kind of guide us here. Well, I may maybe thrown in verse five a little bit. The first thing I'll say, uh, kind of my first point, you, you can't lead where you're not going. If it's not in your heart, no one's, fo- no one's following you. No one's going to follow you. I mean, the classic story for me, the last church I was in, there was a guy named Jim who became a really good friend of mine. But I'll never forget, because we talked about this a lot. He goes to see, he's in a bad place. Things are really hard in his life. And he's got two high school kids, and they don't go to church, and they're really struggling. And so he kind of comes to our youth pastor, makes an appointment, and says, hey, I want to send my kids to your youth group. They need some religion. (laughs) They need some God in their life. And so Josh, who is awesome, he's actually at First Free in Rockford now. Josh was like, you know, that's great. And your kids are always welcome at our uh, just, but, but if you're serious about your kids following God, it's kind of important that you do too. <laughs> In fact, it's really important because they're going to see right through it if you don't. And man, that was just a Holy Spirit moment for Jim. He like, I mean, just it, that grabbed him and he starts coming to church. He meets Jesus. We can say in good old-fashioned language, he gets saved he gets baptized, he gets discipled, he starts serving in our church, and he starts leading his kids authentically. <laughs> you know, I mentioned my sister last week. My sister works with, like, trains on the generations, and she's a Christ follower. And so I was like, hey, 
Kath, how, how, what would you say, you know, I'm preaching on generations, what would you say about what, what some of our, us older generations need to do to make sure we're passing on this faith to the younger generations? And she gave me a whole list, actually, um, my sister's really smart, and I was like, okay, that's too much. I'm like, I can't do two sermons. But I will tell you the core principle that she said, you have to be authentic. She said the younger generations are so, and some of you who might, you might say amen to this, you're so burnt out on the internet because everybody lies and everything's fake and you just don't trust anyone because that's all you know. And so what you need is people who are actually telling you belief that they live out of. So Crossview, if we are going to be a church that hands the faith that we received off to the next generation. We better be sincere. And if you're faking it, well, let's talk about it. And let's repent. And let's get serious. Because it matters. It matters to you. And it matters to our kids. If you've got some big secret, I'm a pretty safe person to talk to. Let's talk about it. Let's be authentic in in our walk with Jesus. All right, the second thing you see in verse 7, and I pause to make the point, right? Uh, Talk about it when you're going to bed, when you're getting up, when you're on the road, when you're at home. Make God talk normal in your lives. Make Make it not weird to talk about Jesus or God. Parents, this is critical for you. And I'll give you a little example. And maybe an encouragement, because some of you might be saying, I don't know how to do this. Well, that's fine. That's what, what discipleship's all about. It's what the church is here for. We can learn from one another. I know there are parents ahead of you in the journey who would love to do three things. Share their successes, because they love to talk about their kids. We all do. Share their failures, because they know them. <laughs> and also, like, try to brainstorm with you, because what we're dealing with now as parents with technology and everything is not what the generations ahead of us dealt with. So we've got to be creative and prayerful together, I think. But make God talk normal in your life. Uh, so here's the story. So I'm going to return back to my first member of my fan club, Piper. Uh, this week, Piper was at Grandma's house. And when you're two years old and you leave Grandma's, you know what happens? You cry. And I think Sarah was saying this week that it wasn't just a cry, it was a two-year-old cry, if you know what I mean. An extreme cry. Some may call it a fit, but we'll just call it an extreme cry. And Sarah was trying to, like, parent, like, okay, this is a little bit too strong, we're probably going to go to Grandma's house again, and I don't want this happening every time. And so I don't know, I wasn't there. I kind of picked Sarah's brain a little bit. I don't know everything she said. But at some point in her trying to help Piper calm down, she says something along the lines of, Piper, we can look for God in this. And and she must have said something like, where is God in this? Because all day then Piper's walking around, where's God? Where's God? And then Grandma calls later in the day, and Sarah says, well, tell Grandma what you've been asking. And she says, Grandma, where's God? I've been looking for him all day. But what a great day for a two-year-old. Right? God's not just something I talk about in Sunday school or children's worship when I come to church. But my mom is teaching me that when I'm sad because I'm leaving Grandma's, which is as ordinary as it gets, God wants to meet me there. (laughs) Understand? Make... Make God talk normal. 
I'm going to lean into this a little bit more in just a minute, but you understand, you know, I like to talk about modern-day Babylon, or in this series, talk about modern-day Egypt, since we're talking about Israel leaving Egypt. But, but Pharaoh and modern-day Egypt, the, the culture that we live in, you have to understand, produces secular people. And if you're not paying attention, you will slowly drift into a lifestyle where you compartmentalize God. Oh, I'm at the grocery store. God's not here. Yes, he is. And he may even be inviting you to love somebody in a radical way. God is everywhere. Maybe even as you instruct your kids or your grandkids, it awakens you to the reality that God is here. God is there, that in Christ Jesus, he is holding every atom together. You understand? That's our God. And so we want to be a people that that we don't relegate God to the private realm, but we awaken to God's presence. And we want to teach our kids to do that. And it's not weird, and it's not odd, and it's not hard. (laughs) Or maybe it is hard, but you can learn to do it. And then the last little point I want to kind of walk through um, as we kind of head towards the end. I've been told that I say we're almost done when I have like 10 minutes left, so try to be careful on that. Um, But we got plenty of time. About verses 8 and 9, they talk about this like tying it around your wrist, wrapping it around your forehead, pounding it on the doorposts. And I think what Moses is getting at is establish constant reminders of your faith. Create tangible reminders of your love for God as often as you can, wherever you can. And especially as you're thinking about passing this on to the next generation. I mean, it was really fun to hear Sarah talk about how she's explaining God's comfort to a two-year-old in the midst of a tantrum. Like, you got to get real tangible, right? You got you to you gotta, you gotta find ways to pass this on. So, I mean, the question I've been wrestling with all week is, what do we need to do now to help make Christianity possible for Piper and Henry, for your children and your grandchildren and their generation? And I really believe, and this is, this is my big invitation to Formed, or Sunday School, or small group. I, I don't need to prioritize one over the other. I think we cover these things in all of our gatherings. But gathering together in a community to learn the rhythms and the routines and the rituals and the traditions and the habits and the disciplines of somebody who follows Jesus. And I talk about it that way because, G- guess what? Jesus had a real rhythm. And he had a routine. (laughs) And he had habits and disciplines that he did. And that's really what we want to do is we want to follow Jesus. And I hate to break it to you, but Jesus did all his habits, routines, rituals, traditions, disciplines without a cell phone. He did. And I just think technology is having a negative impact on our souls. It doesn't have to, but if we aren't thoughtful about it, it will. I heard somebody say this this week, and it's given me a lot to think about. A spirituality that has no structure or support. So again, pick your word. A spirituality without tradition or without habits or without routines or disciplines or rhythms. A spirituality that has no structure or support very soon becomes self-indulgent 
and one generational. Because you don't have a way to pass on the faith that's been passed on to you. So it's really important that we learn these things. It's a big part of what discipleship is. And I just thought I'd take this moment here to do a, a, an apology to all of our small group people. Uh, you know, last year I recommended a book for small group, which I still love. I'm not backing down on this. It's a great book. But it turns out it wasn't a great book for small group discussion, maybe a little too academic. So I apologize to all of you who had to endure my book, even though I love it. I still think it's a great book. But I think because I, uh, because I, I think I just own my mistake, I made a bad recommendation. I was a little bit less confident to recommend a book this year. But I actually think, you know, God's awesome. I think our small groups, have, some of our small groups have landed on books on their own, and they're like really good books. And so one of our small groups is going through a book on the church that our staff team's now going through. I love it. And Kami's small group is going through a book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary, or, or Liturgy of the Ordinary, uh, by Tish Warren Harrison. And they're actually, she's like, I was telling her what I was preaching on this Sunday. She's like, you need to read chapter two. That's what we're talking about tonight at small group. And it totally maps. And she's totally, I read it yesterday, actually, totally maps. But this idea of you, you and I, we, we have rhythm and habit that we've probably picked up from modern day Babylon or modern day Egypt, unaware And it's shaping us and forming our loves. Because modern-day Babylon, modern-day Pharaoh, is so good at messing with your heart and leading you away from your truest love. So, so gifted, like brilliantly gifted. Ad after ad, they know jingles. They know how many times you need something to start. I never knew I wanted that, but now I want it. Right? I think I've said this before. I had Pepsi for a million years and never, never thought that I needed it any other color until they came out with Pepsi Clear. I've got to have it. I've got to have. I never knew I needed Pepsi Clear, but now that I've seen this commercial, I've got to have Pepsi Clear, right? Anybody remember Pepsi Clear? It's just a short, short little window. It didn't last. Apparently, it's not as good as the brown Pepsi. But, but I want to quote from this book. Uh, Tish says, we move in patterns that we have set over time, day by day. These habits and practices shape our loves, our desires, and ultimately who we are and what we worship. In other words, our habits influence our loves and our loves lead our habits. And she says, every, we have everyday habits, formative practices that constitute daily liturgies. By reaching for my smartphone every morning, she, she's talking about how like her, her first thing every day, and she like loved it. I'd get up and I'd grab my cell phone. By reaching for my smartphone every morning, I had developed a ritual that trained me toward a certain end, entertainment and stimulation via technology. She calls it infotainment, which I don't know. I hadn't heard that before. That's that's about right. I'm guilty of that too. She says, regardless of my professed worldview or particular Christian subculture, My unexamined daily habit was shaping me into a worshiper of glowing screens. It was a habit. It was a routine. It was a a ritual. It was becoming a tradition that, guess what? She has kids. Her kids see it. Oh, mom gets up every day and she's on her phone. That's, That's what I should do too. You don't think your kids are watching? Your kids are watching everything. She says, I needed to retrain my mind not to bolt at the first sight of boredom or buck against stillness. And that took the cultivation of habit, discipline. 
And habits have to start small, and they have to start somewhere. So you don't have to, oh, Jeff preached on disciplines. I'm going to read the Bible an hour and a half tomorrow and every day. You know, don't start there. <laughs> let's just let's get to 15 minutes, right? Let's just start small, but you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere in terms of these things that you want to be true of you that are visible for the generations following you so that they see, oh, I, do, I, do, I do serve the poor. I do give generously. I do talk about Jesus. You can see this in my life, and I want this to be in your life. She says, uh, in other words, your daily practices, if you're not, like if you're just drifting, I, I told you, you'll never drift into the Jesus way. Your daily practices may be malforming you. They may be making you less alive, right? Less human. That's the opposite of what the law is trying to do. Make, make you less able to give and receive love throughout your day. The law is actually trying to make us more alive, more human, more able to give and receive love throughout the day. And I want to go a step further and, and give you like a, like a, I don't know, vulnerable, but really personal um, story. And then maybe it'll help you think about some other things and, and even just think about how crafty our enemy is. But one of the things that I've, that I've, I've learned through the years, just as a Christian who's thoughtful, I think, about my discipleship, but then as a pastor who just listens to other people, one of, because modern-day Babylon or modern-day Egypt or modern-day Pharaoh is so talented at, at shaping the way you do your day and influencing your heart, you and I start to love things, but we didn't learn to love it from God. We learned to love it from modern-day Pharaoh. And then we we start following Jesus and we're like, oh yeah, this probably isn't the best thing. So is there any way I can still get this, but it could just be Christian instead? Do you understand what I'm saying? We take a lot of the values of modern day Babylon and we pull them into our Christian subculture and we, we slap the adjective Christian in front of it as a justification for perpetrating that value even though we learned it in Egypt when we were in slavery. So let me give you one personal example. This might not relate to you, but maybe the Spirit of God will stir. It's just for me. Uh, I grew up in modern-day Babylon, and guess what one of the things we worship in modern-day Babylon is? Celebrities. We worship celebrities. So I grew up, you know, I wanted to be a star in the NBA. Turns out I'm not good enough. But I wanted to be a celebrity. You know, I'm going through college. I realize I'm, I might not be, but I, I still want to. So then I get, I, get, I get into pastoral ministry. Well, I, I want to be a celebrity pastor because we have those now. We have celebrity Christians. Now, you show me in the New Testament where Jesus' ethic of taking the lowest seat at the table or no one's master because we're all servants of one another. You, you show me how that translates to celebrity, and I'll be surprised. That is a modern-day Babylon value that we have slapped a Christian adjective in front of, and it's impacted my life. And there have been, it, but, but it's not, so I learned it, it kind of, but not even, like, I wasn't paying it. It was just, I learned it from, I just learned it from, from living in modern-day Babylon, scripted. Now, it works because I have idols. And I talk more about this informed, and I can help you journey through this too if you want to join us informed. But, but really, when I am not operating out of my identity in Christ, 
and I am not fully operating out of who I am when I'm loved by God, then my idol is the approval of others. And I know it's an idol because the number one reason I push back in arguments with Kami is because I feel like I'm losing her approval and I need it. So I fight back to get it, which is crazy, but that's how we fight. But when I'm operating out of my identity in Christ, I'm actually way better with Kami. I don't fight as much because I don't need that from her because I have it from God. But you see, celebrity pastor, what does that mean? Huge audiences. If your idol is approval of people and you find your significance and value and worth in the approval of people, well then of course the more people that like you, I mean the better you are. That's why I've capped my fan club to Piper and Henry and you're not allowed in. That's why. I don't want any more. It's just those two and you're not in. I don't care. You can't get, you can find somebody else. You're not in mine. Piper and Henry and that's it. But I want you to, to think through these things. And I will tell you there are things that I have had to do regularly. That's why I talk about prayer school. Prayer school was a gift from God because it was one of the ways. Because, because what do I do now when I pray my liturgy? I pray a liturgy. I pray the Beatitudes every day. I will never be a celebrity pastor praying the Beatitudes. You don't have to worry about it. I'm not going. I mean, if I believe what Jesus says about the kingdom of God and the Beatitudes, I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a celebrity pastor because that's not where it leads. And so I have, I, I do, that's literal things that I do. We actually, again, tangible, we have the Beatitudes on the wall in our kitchen because they're valuable to our family, because we have to unlearn some things that we learned in modern-day Babylon, and the Beatitudes have been a gift to us. You need routines. You need habits. You need disciplines. You need rituals. You need tangible things that remind you that the kingdom of God is something radically different, that God has given us his law so that we could be an alternative community, and we don't need to be a light to the nations. Let, let's let somebody else be at the top of the list of top 100 churches in America. Somebody else can have that, okay? But let's at least be a light in DeKalb County. Let's be the kind of community that people are like, what's going on there? What's happening at your church? You have a friend who told you that? I've never heard of you. Can I meet your friend? No, I want to I meet this person. Who is this Jesus? You, you, what do you mean you don't have any poor people in your church? You guys all care for each other? I don't, I've never seen that before. That's different. Well, yeah, that's just following Jesus. It's his law. It's what he said to do. So that, and, and then if we do this, if we do this, I think Jay is going to be fine. I think Henry's going to be fine. I think Piper's going to be fine. I think we'll actually have something to hand off to the next generation. Doesn't that sound good? That's what I want to do. All right, one last quote, and then I'll pray. In a culture that craves the big, the entertaining, the dramatic, and the shocking, cultivating a life with space for silence and repetition is necessary for sustaining a life of faith. In a culture that craves the big, the entertaining, the dramatic, and the shocking, cultivating a life with space for silence and repetition, and maybe even boredom, folks, is necessary for sustaining a life of faith and then for passing that faith on to the generations that follow us. 